0: The title of the sermon this morning is We Do Not Lose Heart. We Do Not Lose Heart. You know, I remember uh, the first time I ever fainted. Uh, It was shortly after we moved to Indianapolis and we decided to get a gym membership. On our first visit there, a trainer uh, took us around and showed us the equipment and how they ran their circuits. We were trying different exercise equipment and everything seemed to be going great. I was enjoying it and then I got on the exercise bike and I started pedaling faster and faster. I was loving it. All of a sudden I hear a ringing in my ear which kept getting louder and louder, I commented to my wife and the trainer that I was hearing a ringing. The next thing I know, I'm on my back, on the floor of the room, having passed out and fallen off the bike backwards. While the trainer was afraid that I had a heart condition, it turned out that my sugar was very high. I had Type 2 diabetes and that's how i found out about it my life changed because i fainted that day you know the word the word that paul uses in verse 1 for lose heart is literally the word fainting of course he's not talking about a medical condition or a physical passing out he's talking about a person who might become depressed to the point of giving up. A good modern world word for that might be burnout. Have you ever been there? As you look around the world, you see what's happening in society after society. As you look at the spiritual darkness in our land, which seems to get deeper by the day, are you sometimes tempted To lose heart. To stop trying so hard. To be faithful. To share the good news. To live a holy life. Has the thought crossed your mind to just throw in the towel and give in to your lusts and your greed, all your desires? Just have some fun for a change. Fit in with your coworkers instead of sticking out like a sore thumb. After all, are you really making any difference anywhere? Do you think Paul was ever tempted in that way? He certainly lived in an era of darkness and oppression from government, from the religious establishment, from false teachers and even from co-workers sometimes. He knew a level of persecution that none of us have ever experienced. How many more beatings could he endure? How many more stonings? How many more jail cells? He certainly had reason to lose heart, didn't he? But that's not what verse 1 says, is it? In fact, Paul says the exact opposite. We do not lose heart. And in the following verses, he explains that statement to us so that we also will not lose heart. We'll not get so discouraged that we quit on Christ and the mission that He's given to us. So, before jumping into these verses this morning, let's do a quick review of where we are in this letter. Paul has delayed his return to Corinth, as he said he would do, return at the end of his first letter. He sent a messenger named Titus to Corinth to see how the church had responded to his severe letter that he had sent them, one that is not recorded for us in the Bible, but a a, a letter where he obviously admonished the people strongly confronted what they were doing as a church and Titus came back with a fairly encouraging report. he gave it to Paul Paul was probably at Philippi when he received that report from Titus the people responded well to his letter and overall they were doing alright except now false teachers have come in with Letters of recommendation. And the false teachers are trying to undermine Paul's credibility in order to promote themselves to the people and get their backing. Paul's response? You remember what he said? I don't need letters of recommendation like like these people pretend to have because you, the Corinthians, are my letter of recommendation through my preaching, the Spirit of God did a wonderful work in your hearts. And that's all the commendation I need. Paul went on in chapter 3 to describe the difference between the old covenant written on stone with the new covenant written on our hearts. He explained that the glory of the new covenant far exceeded the glory of the old covenant. And that glorious ministry is the one he will pursue and give his life to. So I want to look at these three pairs of verses this morning in more detail and see what Paul means by we do not lose heart. Three things, three pairs of verses. First, Paul is not losing heart. And that is, number one, evidenced, By persevering in truth. By persevering in truth. Verses 1 and 2. Therefore, Paul says, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Look at the beginning of the verse. Paul first connects this section with the earlier section we finished back in November in chapter 3 by telling us that what he's talking about is that glorious ministry that he just described. A ministry that comes by God's mercy, not by our own doing. What, when Paul writes here, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways in verse 2. He's, he's probably referring directly to the false teachers and secondarily defending his own ministry. He's referring to them because the false teachers always behave in such a way, and they do today too. They always behave in such a way that they are doing disgraceful, shameful things in underhanded or secret ways ways now this might seem to be in contrast to our society today because if you open your eyes and look around you see disgraceful shameful things being done openly and proudly without any shame or disgrace associated with their sinful behavior but paul is saying we have renounced this and that that word means that there was never a time when we practiced these things. Paul wasn't saying one thing in public and doing another in private like the false teachers of his day and our day do. He goes on to further describe his opponents, defend his ministry, by saying he does not engage in cunning or tampering with God's Word. The word cunning here could be translated trickery it literally means ready to do anything bad it's the old saying the end justifies the means so if we can just for example if we can just get a person to pray these words it doesn't really matter if we've shared the gospel faithfully or fully this was something called easy believism And it was something that was modeled in our day pretty heavily by a large influential church and college in actually northern Indiana several decades ago. You would hear things in church meetings like, listen to how many people accepted, accepted Christ this week. It's amazing. Hundreds and hundreds of people. But people were literally just repeating words that they were told to say in a rapid pace. Now, could somebody be converted in that way? Maybe, but highly unlikely. Because the Bible tells us in Romans 10.17, faith comes from hearing the Word of God. And if the unbeliever is not told the truth from God's Word about their sin, about its penalty, and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and in His resurrection, they will never truly be able to express faith in Jesus Christ. No trickery, Paul says. No deceit. And no tampering. The word tamper in our text comes from a word that means bait as used in fishing. All you fishermen know full well what this is about. You know what the bait does. It it alters the appearance of the deadly hook so that the fish will bite. Paul says we refuse to bait people by altering, by changing, by watering down the Word of God, by making it say what we want it to say, or by watering its message down to be less offensive to other people. Paul had said something similar uh, to this back in chapter 2, verse 17, where he said, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. But, brothers and sisters, if you look around at quote unquote churches in the 21st century, all around us, you will find quote unquote preachers who do exactly this, who don't talk about sin. Who don't talk about the holiness of God. Who never mention hell. Who don't talk about denying oneself or taking up a cross to follow Jesus. They talk about how to be more successful in life. How to be wealthy and healthy. How they have power to name it and claim it. Why? Because it attracts crowds. Because they want people to be comfortable, not offended. They want to trick them. They want to bait them into following their false Gospels and into filling their pockets with money and satisfying their lusts for power and self-glory. Paul says, we have never and we will never do these things. And in contrast to that, Paul goes on, but by the open statement of the truth, in contrast to trickery, to watering down the Word of God, we simply put on display the Word itself. The truth itself. Without embellishment. Without watering it down. Without bait and switch. And without trickery of any kind. We tell it like it is. Better. We let God speak instead of ourselves. Now that doesn't mean we go around being jerks and telling people the raw truth of the Scripture in an offensive way. There are plenty of those people in the world too. Paul's not detailing here how he communicates the truth. When it comes to his compassion for people, as we read in his letters, often communicating the truth in tears. His purpose here, however, in these first couple verses, is to say he has not lost heart in ministry. And you will see that evidenced in his faithfulness to the truth, to the Word of God. Heather Hills, we must also have such a confidence in our message that we will never resort to trickery or watering it down for the sake of numbers or prestige or bigger buildings or bigger budgets. This glorious ministry doesn't need it. The power is in the Word. And you must Believe that with all your hearts. And this open, clear, full, candid display of the truth of God's Word is another commendation letter that Paul sends. With God as His judge to the conscience of every person He ministers to. Look at the end of that verse. We would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God let's look quickly down at a second truth that Paul gives us. He does not lose heart, secondly, despite the blinding of the enemy. Verses 3 and 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Even if we were to use tricks or manipulation, it won't do any good. Not really. We could get people to say things, easy believism, pray a prayer, mimic what we tell them to, manipulate them, trick them, Water down the Word of God. But even if we do that, we have a huge problem. The problem is found in the heart of the unbeliever and in the work of Satan. Now, with regard to the heart of an unbeliever, Paul reminds us here that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, they have no saving understanding of the gospel as an unbeliever. Paul had told them this in his first letter, back in 1 Corinthians 1.18, that the word of the cross is folly, foolishness, to those who are perishing. And he wrote to the Ephesians that before salvation, they were, quote, dead in their trespasses, Ephesians 2.5. You can try to trick them. You can try to manipulate them. You can try to please them and control them. You can, you can change it all to try to keep them interested. But their hearts are veiled. They are dead in their sins. You and I, in our own strength and talents, cannot penetrate those spiritual defenses that are set up against the Gospel. But it gets worse. Because although the perishing man is blind, Satan is not content to leave him alone in his blindness. Verse 4, Paul tells us this sobering truth. In their case, the case of the unbeliever, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the Gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this world is a unique biblical expression. It always refers to Satan whenever it's used. He is the one, along with all of his minions, he is the one who is working hard to keep sinners blinded to the gospel. And let me just take a moment to say this. If you're not a Christian, and you're here this morning, or you're listening to this message, you, my friend, are under the bondage of Satan. The already defeated enemy of God. He was a murderer from the beginning, the Bible says. He's a liar. And Satan wants only one thing for you. And that is to take you with him to hell. That is All he wants. So the problem is not the gospel. Paul says the reason Satan is blinding unbelievers' minds is, as the verse says here, to keep them from seeing the light. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. If a blind man cannot see the sun, is it the sun's fault? course not. The problem is in the man's blindness. Friends, there is nothing brighter, there is nothing more beautiful, there is nothing more glorious than the light of the gospel. And that light is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that glory so amazing? Because Jesus is the image of God. He's just like him. So there's no defect in the Gospel. None whatsoever. But the enemy is at work, tirelessly pulling that veil down tighter over the hearts of unbelievers. So Paul, why don't you lose heart? Why not just give up? The odds are stacked against you. The fa- you got false teachers impressing crowds of people with their trickery and camouflaging of the Word of God while they're engaged in secret shame. You have the God of this world blinding the minds of the unbelievers. Surely, you must be depressed about that. Why don't you just go home to Tarsus and live the good life? Paul's response is our third point. We do not lose hearts because of the illuminating of the Gospel. Verses 5 and 6. Paul says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's work through these verses. Paul says, we don't promote ourselves, unlike the false teachers. We don't promote our ideas, our doctrines. We don't use our tricks. We have one great focus, and that is Jesus Christ as Lord. And when we see this expression in the New Testament, you see it several places, this is a confession of faith in the risen Lord Jesus, who has ascended to the right hand of God in heaven. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is what Christians confess when they are saved, according to Romans 10, 13. If you call on Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. This is the content of the gospel that Paul preaches and that we also preach to the world. Your message, Christian, when you leave this place and go out into the world Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, before you come back here again to this sheltered place where we love Jesus and worship Him together, when you are out among the world, among unbelievers who have been veiled by the blinding of Satan... Your message is very simple. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's your message in the nutshell that it is. Now, to confess that Jesus is Lord, Paul goes on, is to say to other Christians, I am your slave. This leaves no room for the self seeking false teachers. Who wanted their followers to serve them? Rather, Paul sees the lordship of Jesus transforming his people into glad servants of each other. We put, we put others' needs above our own. This was the testimony of Jesus himself. Do you remember when he spoke to his disciples in the upper room in John 13? He said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers if you have love for one another later in chapter 12 of 2nd corinthians paul will tell the corinthians this i will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls and that's the attitude we all should have because of jesus lordship of our lives we serve one another we put each other above ourselves and then we come to this last verse in our text, this Lord's Day, and it's one of my favorites in all the Scripture. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. i me give you four thoughts here on this verse before we sing together and move into our time of communion. First, Paul is obviously pointing us somewhere, isn't he? Where is he pointing us? Back to the beginning. Back to Genesis chapter 1, right? This is the first day of creation. This is the beginning of everything new. There was only darkness, right? In the beginning. Genesis 1. God spoke. Light appeared. A profound miracle. Second, Paul's showing us here a parallel between the first day of creation and the first day of a new believer's life. At that very moment when God speaks to you through his word, everything becomes new. Light floods into a heart that was veiled with the darkness of sin and Satan, and a profound miracle occurs. God speaks, and light appears in you. Third, I think Paul is giving a personal testimony here too. Did you notice that he says, God has shown in our hearts. Was Paul remembering here the light that shined down on him on that road to Damascus? We can't be sure. But Paul certainly shares in the miracle of conversion, of salvation, of forgiveness, of eternal life, of faith in the risen Lord, Jesus the Christ. As the praise team comes back to the front and our deacons come to the front to prepare to serve communion to us, let me share the fourth thought from this last verse in closing. You remember back in chapter 3, Paul was reminding us of what happened with Moses on Mount Sinai back in Exodus 34. Do you remember any of that? The veiling and all that? Moses wanted to see God's glory. Do you remember? So God put him on the top of Mount Sinai. He put him in a crevice in the rock of that mountain. And He he allowed him to see his back pass by him. And that was so powerful of an experience for Moses that he came down off the mountain. His face was glowing with the glory of God to the extent that he had to put a veil on. Remember, and Paul refers to this at the end of chapter 3. Notice the end of verse 6 here in our text where we get to experience something even greater than Moses. Moses couldn't see God face to face or he would die. But we do. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When He walked on this earth, John recorded in his Gospel in chapter 1, we have seen His glory. And in a spiritual sense, all of us, just like Paul, have been shined on by the light of the glory of God. To see Jesus as He truly is. The Lord of all. The Savior of all the world. Our spiritual blindness. Has lifted. The veil. Has been rent in two. And the gospel. Has made us a new creation. Not because of Paul. Paul but because God spoke and glory filled your soul. As John Newton wrote, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind. But now i see as we come to the lord's table let's stand together let's respond to god's word preached today in singing a song of heaven a song based on revelation 5 a song that exalts no one but jesus because he is worthy of it let's stand together